like me, but you can feel the presence of the Lord in this place. Amen. Amen. God is good. Thank you, worship team, for your ministry. Thank you to have brought us into the presence of the Lord. We are grateful, and we are grateful to the Lord that he brings us into his presence. And we're grateful to you to join us today on this Sunday for the third message in our series, Fall Classics. For the past two weeks, Pastor Perry has preached on the first, the most popular verse of the Bible, which is John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. Amen. And then he preached on Steph's Curry favorite verse, which is what? Philippians 4.13, which says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And he broke it down. So our passage today is a passage, and I'll see if you can guess which one. It's a passage that you find in a lot of decorations, a lot of cups, and a lot of different memorabilia. So please follow me in Jeremiah chapter 29, and we're going to read from verse 4 to verse 11, uh, to verse 14, and we'll figure out which verse is our fall classics for today. So Jeremiah 29 verse 4 to 14. It says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters and find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in numbers do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray the Lord, pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you, fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. God's word is already blessed. Amen. So can you guess which verse we're going to talk about today? And what does it say? Amen. Amen. If we do Bible, Bible trivia, you're on my team. Amen. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And that verse, obviously, is a well-known verse. It's a fall classic. You see it in a lot, a lot of different decorations. But to get the, to understand the depth of this verse, it's important that we understand the backdrop in which this verse is set. A lot of times we come into somebody's house, they have a nice house, and you have a nice decoration that says, for I know the plans I have for you, right? And it makes us feel good, and it, it's, it's, it's all right. But when you understand the backdrop, of this verse, you understand that it is easy to say, but it's a very challenging verse to actually believe because it is a good verse, but it's in a bad time. And I have to take you back to a couple of decades, a few decades prior to King Josiah. So King Josiah is king of Judah. He's a descendant of King David. And we find out in Second Chronicles from chapter 34 to 36. So we're going to start, get just a little glimpse of Josiah's life. Josiah, if you follow it, means Second Chronicles 34, verse 1 to verse 2. It says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. 
and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what is right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. So Josiah became king when he was eight years old. And from that time, he grew to become a man of God. He was a good king. He was serving God faithfully like his forefather David. And what we find when you read the book of Kings and when you read the book of Chronicles, you find that as the king goes, so goes the country. If the king is a godly king, the country tends to follow and be godly. Uh, if the king is a wicked king, is it, if he's an evil king, the country tends to follow follow suit and be and be crooked as well. So we see that Josiah, he was a faithful man of God. He was a faithful king even from eight years old. So if you're here and you're maybe you're seven and you're eight years old, you're not too young to serve the Lord. You're not too young to be a model for your classmate in school. You're not too young to be a model even for your, from your, for your parents at home. Josiah started his work as king. So that means he's the boss of the country at eight years old. How many parents here you would put your eight-year-old in charge of the whole United States? Amen. I put... I would, Abby, Abby would be in charge. DJ, you want to be in charge of the country? Amen. President DJ, amen. I, 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 I dig it, I dig it. And so, if we jump later in his life, in Chronicles chapter 35, it says, if you follow with me, verse 1 and verse 18, it says, Josiah celebrated the Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem, and the Passover lamb was slaughtered on the 14th day of the first month. The Passover had not been observed like this in Israel since the days of the prophet Samuel. And none of the kings of Israel have ever had, have ever celebrated such a Passover as did Josiah with the priests, the Levites, and all Judah and Israel who were there with the people of Jerusalem. Never since Samuel had they celebrated the Passover. As you know, the Passover is their main celebration. Like here in America, our main celebration, you would say it's whether 4th of July, but it's really Christmas, right? Christmas is when we go out and we spend a lot of money. You know the economy in America is bad when you're in September and they start talking about Christmas, right? I'm listening to the radio and they're talking about Christmas already. And they're saying that we're having a shortage. So if you want to buy Christmas gifts, you should buy them now because if you wait till December, you might not, you might be out of luck. And but Josiah celebrated Passover like nobody else before. Let, let's think about it, right? Before him, you had a king like King David. And King David is the one that is called the man after God's own heart. And you know that David went all out for the Lord. At a certain point, he was dancing. And when he danced, he got, he, he danced so, I don't know if you guys used to dance. I'm not a dancer. But he danced so hard that he, he went out of his clothes. He was dancing so hard for the Lord. And they say that Josiah celebrated the Passover better than David did. And they say, okay, Josiah celebrated better the Passover than even Solomon. Solomon was David's son, and he was bawling. He had, he was one of the, he was the richest king that Israel ever known. He built the temple. He made so many constructions, and he was the man that he had such wisdom that nobody had wisdom like Solomon had wisdom. And Josiah celebrated the Passover better. Than, than Solomon. And, and so if we would, if it would be now, the hashtag best Passover ever would be trending at that time, right? People would be like, well, best Passover ever, selfies and all of that stuff. Because it was a party of all parties. And that's the type of man that Josiah was. He loved God with everything that he had. But Josiah made a detour. He made a mistake. You can serve God, but that doesn't preclude you from making mistakes. And he made a mistake where the king of Egypt was going to fight some other people. He was going to fight alongside the Assyrian, had no beef with Judah at all. He had no quarrel with Josiah at all. But Josiah felt like, oh, I want to get into that fight. I want to get into that fight. So Josiah goes and he gets into that fight. The king of Egypt says, dude, mind your business. 
Mind your business. And Josiah says, no, I'm still going to go. And he still went to fight, and he tried to hide, and he, he, he disguised himself so they wouldn't know that he was a king. And while he's fighting, an arrow hits him. 39 years old, a arrow hits him, and they take him away, and he dies. You ever felt that way where you're, you're Christian and you're not, you know, you're supposed to walk straight, but then you make a detour. You know, I know how many friends I know, they, they, they were good people, but then they made a detour and they got into business with the wrong people and then drive by shooting and they're gone because they were at the wrong place with the wrong people at the wrong time. And that's what happened to Josiah. He's at the wrong place at the wrong time and he died. And from that point, Josiah was the last good king of Israel. He was the last one. Everybody that came after him was bad. So after he died, his son, Joahaz, took over. That's the next slide. Joahaz took over, and he reigned in Jerusalem for three months. So that's a very short tenure. They make him king. The king of Egypt don't like him. So they come and they take him into captivity to Egypt. And the king of Egypt puts Eliakim in power. But then, just to show that I own you, the king of Egypt changes his name from Eliakim, which means God raises, to Jehoiakim, which means Jehovah will raise. And you know it's bad when the pagan king reminds you of who you are and changes your name from God will raise to Jehovah to kind of maybe, maybe he would remember what he, his name means. Maybe he would remember what he stood for. I remember, and I'm not saying anybody to do that, right? But I remember, and, and, and my kids are here, hopefully they're not listening to, to, to you know, when I was in high school, I remember I had like a history test. And in my history test, you know, history could be hard. I decided to get, to give myself um, academic support, right? I, I created some um, academic help to help me during the exam, if you know what I mean, right? And, and so I'm using my academic help in, in, the, in the exam. And, um, and I got away with it. The teacher didn't catch me. The teacher didn't catch me. But you know who caught me? My Christian friend. My Christian friend, I knew I was a Christian, and I knew she was a Christian, and she looked at me and she said, David, you know what you are. And that pierced my heart. Till today, I'm sharing that story with you. Because I had a Christian friend in the school, and she reminded me of who I am. And as a Christian, you know you're supposed to do it straight. You know you're not supposed to get academic help in that way. You know you're supposed to. And that stayed with me. So it's one thing when your Christian friend reminds you of who you are, but it's another thing when it's a, a non-Christian, a pagan, that reminds you who you are. And in this case, Eliakim, he is reminded by the Egyptian, Egyptian king who he's supposed to be. He changed his name to Jehovah will raise. But that wasn't enough. He was still a bad king. And then Joachim came afterwards, and then Zedekiah came afterwards. And at, at each time, God will send a warning. The, the Babylonians, they would come, and then they would defeat Israel, and then they would come in the temple and take a little bit of the goods, that, that the, the vessels and the, the gold and the silver that was in the temple. They would take a little bit, but they never repented. And they stayed bad and bad and bad until Zedekiah, the last king, and then it's game over. God says, you know what, I'm done. It's game over. And he allows the king of Babylon to come and, and, and they storm the temple. They destroy Jerusalem. They destroy everything. And they take all the, 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 the vessels that Solomon did that were dedicated to the Lord. They take him and they bring him into their own palaces and temples. And just to give you an understanding, when those countries, when they used to fight, it, it really meant my God was fighting your God. So if I win the battle, that means Jehovah wins the battle. But if Babylon wins the battle, that means Nebu, whatever their God was, wins the battle. And kind of to, to, for us to understand how traumatic that was for them, if you watch the news recently, you saw we left Afghanistan, 
right? We were at war in Afghanistan for 20 years. Some of you were not born when we started that war. But for, for those of us who were born and alive, we all remember where we were on 9-11. You can ask anybody that, that was of age on September 11, 2001, and they can tell you exactly where they were. I was in a classroom in Mexico. It was the break, and at the break, I go to the cafeteria, and I see everybody gathered around the, the, the TV. And they're like, oh, planes went into the Twin Towers. That was a traumatic experience for the country. So we sent the army to Afghanistan for 20 years. 20 years we were there, and we left recently, and the same people that we kicked out 20 years ago, they came back in power. So we spent 20 years, we spent a lot of money. And so we say, they say America lost. But it's not a real loss. Because that happened over there, but we're still living our lives over here. That happened over there, but I still went to work and I still had, you know, still went get gas and do my bills or what. Our lives did not change. But imagine that the, the, the same Taliban that are over there, they come over here. And now they come and they take our president. The most protected person in the country is the president. And they come and they take the president and they put him in chains and they take him to Afghanistan. And if that's not enough, then they go into our precious places. They go into Congress. They go into the White House. And now they take the Constitution of the United States and they bring it to Afghanistan. They take uh, uh, the, the, the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, and they take it. They take the first Apple computer, the first iPhone. They take all of that into their land. And in the process, they kill a lot of people. They kill a lot of people, and the people they don't kill, they put in chains, and they take them over to that country. So now, your name here might be David, but now they go over there, and they give you their name, right? Their name after their God. And then now you have to learn their language, and you're going to work for their president. You can imagine how traumatic of an experience that would be. And if you read the book of Daniel, Daniel and his friends, they're part of that generation of young men that was bound in chains and brought away to another country. And so this letter is what God is saying to those people that the enemy has taken into captivity. So they're bound and they're going into another country. And here's what God his telling them. So if we go back, first he's telling them, play by the rules. Play by the rules. If you read with me verse 4 to verse 6, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, he says, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives have and have your sons and daughters take wives for your sons and, and, and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and, and daughters multiply there and do not decrease. This is a mind-boggling thing. You mean to tell me I'm going into the enemy's territory, they're not even worshiping you, and you want me to play ball. You want me to play by the rules. Sometimes when we go through things, and, and especially if you grew up in the Haitian community, a lot of times we blame the devil, right? If something bad happens, you know, it's, it's, uh, the devil is a liar, right? And then, but sometimes, sometimes, even the stuff that happens that is bad, understand that if you are a child of God, nothing happens to you that takes God by surprise. Nothing happens to you that God has not allowed. So if you find yourself in a tough situation, if you find yourself in an undesirable situation, understand that even so, God is still at work. Look at what he says. He says, whom I sent. He uses, so though the, the people sinned, and though Nebuchadnezzar, the, the, the king, he's a bad king. He's a bad mama jama. He's not a good guy. He's a bad guy. But even though he's a bad guy, God is still in charge. And God says, you know what? I am the one who sent you in captivity. So if you find yourself that you're in a place of captivity, right? So they went from Jerusalem to Babylon. Jerusalem means it's the city of peace. Jerusalem, shalom, means peace. So they were in 
Jerusalem. They were celebrating the Passover. They were all good. And sometimes in our lives, everything is going good, right? You have a nice job. You have a good relationship. Everything is going good. And you are in a state of peace. And shalom means to be not only at peace, but it's, it's to be whole. It's a, a state of wholeness. So sometimes in your life, you're in a place of wholeness and everything is good. Your family, everybody gets along. You, you come home and, 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 and you're, 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 you, you wake up and your, your wife smells like strawberries. You, 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 know, you fart and it's like peach and everything is good. Sorry, bad example. I apologize. But what happens when you go from Jerusalem to Babylon? And Babylon, Babylon, Babylon comes from Babel. And you guys remember from Sunday school what happened in the Tower, Tower of Babel. It's when they tried to go up to God and God sent the languages to confuse them. Babel means confusion. So you can go from a state of peace and shalom and, and wholeness and out of the blue, you find yourself in a state of confusion. You find yourself in a state of defeat. You find yourself where now you're out of your exile. You're out of place. You're not in the place where you feel you should be. Maybe you had plans for a career and you're not at the level that you're supposed to be in your career. Maybe you wanted by this age, you wanted to be in this social standing and you find yourself you're not where you're supposed to be, where you feel you're supposed to be. And you find yourself, now you're confused because you don't know what happened. The people of God, they found themselves in a state of confusion. The temple of God was ransacked. It was desecrated. And now, for the first time in, 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 in a long time, they find themselves, they're even out of the land. They're out of the land that God had promised to their forefathers. And they're in another country. And now they have other foods that they don't agree with. They have other customs that they don't agree with. You have to learn a language that you don't even know. So they find themselves confused. They went from a state of peace to a state of confusion. But when that happens, God says, I still want you to play by the rules. I still want you to play by the rules. And if you take with me just the verbs that are used in this passage, kind of give us the God's mindset. When things are not going right, God still wants you to, number one, he tells them, build. Build houses. I don't want you to, 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 to be, do a rebellion. You know, like with the people coming here, some people are afraid, oh, maybe they'll try to hurt us. God says, I don't want you to hurt anybody. I don't want you to do an Israeli cell and try to overthrow the Babylonian government. I want you to build and live. I want you to plant. I want you to take and have. I want you to give, bear, and multiply. And the one thing that he doesn't want them to do, he doesn't want them to decrease. He says, build houses and live in them. I want you to have a building mindset. If you're in a job and you don't like the job and the boss is mean and the job, the boss is, is a bad guy, I still want you to build. I still want you to go to the job and do your best and build that company as if it was yours. He told them to build the country as if it was theirs. Build and live and then plant. When you have a plant, you take a seed you put it in the ground, and then you, 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 you water it, it grows, and then it gives you fruit that has many more seed, right? In, in our term, since we live in cities and we're not used to agriculture, that would mean to invest. I want you to take your time. I want you to take your money and put it in something that will grow. It make it, put it in something that will grow and multiply. It says, and then it says, take and have. Take a wife. Take a, take and have but then give, bear, and multiply. And the one prohibition that he gave him, the one thing he does not want them to do is decrease. He says, do not decrease. I don't want you to shrink away. Sometimes when we go through something, we, we tend to shrink away. We tend to, sometimes, when, especially when you go through a failure, rather than to get back up and, and push back, then you say, oh, you know what? I'm not going to try this thing anymore. Oh, you know what? Yes, I wanted to do a music career, uh, audition, and they rejected me. I'm not going to sing anymore. I wanted to do my business, and, 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 and I didn't get the loan. I didn't get this, or, or nobody's buying my stuff. I'm not going to do it anymore. And you tend to shrink. You tend to shrink. Or maybe you want to do ministry, and you give a message, and nobody likes your message. Trust me, big deal. 
I remember the first message I gave, it was in college, and we had like a little prayer group, and I'm starting to preach, and I preached the whole thing, my eyes closed, because I was so stressed. But if God is calling you, do not decrease, do not shrink back, push back, build, live, take, plant, give, bear, and multiply. Those are the rules that God wants us to have. There's a lot of people, they don't like this country, they don't like America. But if you're here, it's because God is calling you to build and live. God is calling you to build and live. He's calling you to, to plant, to invest, to take and have, to give, bear, multiply. And he's not calling you to decrease. He's not calling you to decrease. And you see what's happening at the border with our people? That is even sign more that we need to increase. Because trust me, if the purse of the country was in this room, they wouldn't treat our people that way. That's not how they would treat us. So we have to increase. We cannot decrease. So if you find yourself at a job that you don't like, still invest, still push, still build that company. If you find yourself in a relationship that is hard, still invest, still build, still make it grow. Do everything you can to make it grow. The Bible says, as long as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. So as long as you, it depends on you, in, in, invest. Now, I'm not saying that you have to stay in a toxic relationship, right? If you're in a toxic relationship, the best thing you could do for you and them sometimes is to remove yourself from the toxicity. But in our day and age, we live in a generation that people, we quit too fast. We're too fast to quit. Marriages, they quit too fast. You know when you have a wedding and they ask the older couples, like they've been married for 50 years, and they ask, what's the secret? None of them said it was easy. None of them, they tell you, don't, you know, forgive. They'll tell you, um, pray together. They'll tell you all of those different advice. But none of them say it was easy because it's never easy. So whatever you do, do not decrease. Do not shrink. Rise up to the occasion. So that's rule number one. Rule number two, he says, pray for the rulers. Pray for the rulers. Verse seven, he says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. It says to pray for the city that you're in. And so you find yourself where you have, you're in a country and sometimes you don't like the country. I remember when I was in Canada, my parents and, and the friends, they're talking and they're, you know, as we all do at some point, they're, um, whining about the Canadian government. Oh, Canada, da, 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 da. And I'm like, respectfully, I love my parents. I love them respectfully. But guys, if you don't like it, why don't you go back home? Why don't you go back home? In this example, they couldn't go back home. They were captive. And God says, you know what? I want you to seek the welfare of the country where you're at. So if you're in Canada, you need to seek the welfare of of, of the Canadian population. You need to seek the welfare of Canada. If you're in America, you need to seek the welfare of America. If you're in Haiti, you need to seek the welfare of Haiti. If you find yourself and you're listening to this and you're in China, you need to seek the welfare of China. And he says, seek the welfare of the country where you're at and pray, pray to the Lord for its on its behalf, for pray to the Lord on his behalf. I know some of us, I go I, I went to the gas station the other day and I saw all of the different, they're all above $3 and not hurt. And I can whine all I want, but the question I have for myself and for you, how much prayer are you putting for the government? How much prayer? So basically what he's saying here for us, is means Seek the welfare of America. And Paul puts it this way. Paul puts it, it says, if you follow with me in 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 4, it says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness, this is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And so what that means is when you're praying, pray for Joe Biden. Pray for Kamala Harris, the president and the vice president. Pray for Nancy Pelosi, the leader of the House. Pray for Jack Schumer, the leader of the Senate. Pray for 
Mitch McConnell, pray for John McCarthy, which are the opposition leaders. Pray for Governor DeSantis. Pray for the mayor of Broward. And I know some, some of you are like, man, I ain't got time for that. I ain't got time for that. But I'm going to give you two reasons for why you should pray for those people. Proverbs says that the heart of the king is in the hand of God. And he guides it wherever he wants. The heart of the king is in the hands of God. So if you don't like what you're seeing out of your government, pray for them. Pray for them because their heart ultimately is in the hands of God. And he says, so you pray for them, number one, because it says that pleases God. And as a Christian, I want to please God, and that should be enough. But if that is not enough, look at what he says here. He says, if we go back to verse 7, he says, pray for its, its welfare because from its welfare comes your welfare. So if you want to be good in America, if you want to be good wherever you go in the world, pray for that government because if the country is good, then you're good. If the country is bad, then you're bad. So me, I don't care who's in power. I don't want to pay $3 a gallon. I want to go be at $2 a gallon. So I need the government to make the right decisions to make this, this economy work. I, 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 as a Christian, I want to see my fellow, my fellow citizen honor God because when you don't honor God from what we're seeing in Scripture, if you see, if you take your Bible, right, and you're lining up with the laws of the land and the, the leaders of the land and they don't line up to this, whether in their behavior, whether in their policies, that means pack your bags because we're going down. When pack your bags, that means it, it happened to Israel and they were the people of God. So what do you think is going to happen to us if we don't honor God? And to use Martin Luther King's words, Martin Luther King, when he gave his I Have a Dream speech, he says, I'm just trying to hold the country to the promise that it made. And the motto of America is, in God we trust. So our forefathers dedicated this land to God. It says, in God we trust. But now if the descendants now don't behave in a way that shows that we trust God, then I don't care how many tanks we have, how many planes we have, we're going down. As a nation, we're going to go down. So we have to pray for our leaders so that they can make the right decision so that as a nation, we're not going down. And, and, and if you study the book, you'll see this. When Josiah was king, he did what was right. He did everything that he could. But then the passage says in 2 Kings, it says, but that was too late. Because there was a king that came before. His name was Manasseh. And he was evil as evil can be. And because of his sins, now, so yes, Josiah gave him like a break. But then after Josiah, you saw four kings came and they were all bad. And then the destruction came. Some of the sins that we're seeing in our land now, it's not going to affect us. It's going to affect our children and our children's children. So if we care for them, we pray for the land. We pray for God to show us mercy. We pray for the king and the kings and the queens or whatnot, the celebrities, to turn their hearts back to God. Because it doesn't matter how many nuclear weapons you have. If God says it's game over, then it's game over. Then it's game over. So play by the rules in building this country. But then pray the ruler so that the hearts of the leaders and the hearts of the people might turn back to God. But then, pay attention to God's true voice and to God's plan. You know, we go through, and if you follow this thing, like the country's been going through so much, so many changes. We have a pandemic that we've never seen before, which then brings a different reality that we've never seen before. We had, um, in 2001, 9-11, was the first time in a long time that mainland America was, was stricken. So there's a lot of, and that prompted us to go into wars and a lot of changes. But the wise person would pay attention to God's true voice and plan. Here's what he says in verse 8. He says, yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. 
Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. Have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill you my good promise to bring you back to this place. At that time, Jeremiah was preaching, was, was saying, guys, what we're doing is not good. God is going to punish us. Babylon is coming, and you need to play ball with Babylon, right? Which, which is like, what? Like, I mean, the Taliban's are coming. You want me to play along? No, that's not going to happen. I'm going to fight. And uh, so the, the other prophets at the time were telling the kings, no, 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 you're good. You're good. We're, you know, God will deliver us. Yes, you're good. Everything is fine. Kind of like what's going on now, where you have a lot of preachers and it's feel-good moments, right? It's feel-good messages, but there's no repentance. There's no repentance. But if we don't repent, how can we expect the blessing of God? If we don't turn our hearts back to God, how do you expect God to bless you? So now we have a generation that thinks that God's purpose is to make me feel good. That God's whole purpose is for me to feel good. So, right, so I can go about and live my life. I'm shacking Monday to, to, to Saturday, but as long as I come to church, get my little pill on Sunday, then I'm good. And then you look in this land, sin and iniquity is going rampant in the land. And at that time, in Jeremiah's time, the prophets were giving them Feel good messages. And so much that they took Jeremiah and they, 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 they threw him in, in, in a water hole and let for water to come and for him to die. And for him to die. And it's the Ethiopian that came and said, no, no, king, let me, let me take him out. And the Ethiopian came and he took Jeremiah out of the system and saved Jeremiah's life. So when all this thing was happening, all this thing was about to go down, God sent a message to the Ethiopian and said to the Ethiopian, he said, you see, I'm going to destroy this place. I'm going to take my own people and I'm going to send them into, into, into exile. But you, because you trusted in me, that's not going to happen to you. Because you trusted in me. So I don't care what everybody else does. But as far as for me and my house, and I pray for you and your house, you need to trust the Lord. You need to trust the Lord. Now, pay attention to what's going on in, this, in, this, in, in our time. We have technology like we've never had before. We have now a pandemic like we've never had before. Now, we're getting, if I told you two years ago, something is coming that if you don't have it, you can't buy, you can't purchase, you can't do nothing. What would you say that is? You say it's the mark of the beast, right? Now, now I'm not saying whatever medical decision you do for yourself, you do what you do for your health. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is now you see governments that are willing to say, you know what? Unless you do exactly what we tell you, you're not participating in our society. And that is setting the stage. Right now we're talking about medical decision. But eventually, it's not going to be medical decision. It's going to be spiritual decisions. What happens when they say, well, your Bible says this. If you believe this, you cannot be a part of our society. Are you going to stand? Or are you going to cave? As the children of God, we have to pay attention to what's happening. And in this setting of destruction, in this setting of exile, in this setting of everything going bad for the people of God, in that setting, he says, verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. 
plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. This is the ultimate sign of trust. When next time you hear this verse, what I want you to hear is God is saying, trust me. Trust me. And when everything around you seems like it's wrong, when everything around you seems like it's going awry, it's, it's, it's falling down, I want you to trust me. You can imagine the faithful people like Daniel. Daniel didn't commit sin. Daniel wasn't part of, of, of those regime that did bad, but he was still taken into captivity. Sometimes you could do everything that is right, but you end up paying for other people's sin. And so Daniel, when he's finding himself in this situation, he goes back to this word and he says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. And so that basically means, trust me, trust me. I remember when uh, we went on a, on a cruise, my, my, my family and I, um, to celebrate our 10th year anniversary of, of my, my wife and I. And we went um, to actually Labadzi, Haiti, right? We went to Haiti in that Royal Caribbean cruise. And uh, we went to do zip lining. But we went to do zip lining Superman style, right? So you go like this and you're... And so the guy gives us a, a warning. He says, okay, they give us, puts the equipment. And then he says, there's going to be a point. I'm going to need you to trust me. I'm going to need you to trust me. So we go up and, and we're there. And if you know my wife, if you've been to camp with us, you know my wife, she, 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 uh, she, she's not afraid of nothing. So, so obviously as a guy, I got to step up, right? Amen. So we get to, the, to this thing, right? And we get on the ledge. And he says, lean forward. I'm like, it, it, it's the hole. Like, it's empty. Now, I, I can't lean forward. But I got my wife. She leaned forward. So, okay, I got to lean forward too. But I'm like, in my head, Dave, you're the biggest dummy. Why would you put yourself in this situation, right? So we lean forward. And you're like, oh, man, Jesus, forgive me all my sins. Because you're like, you feel like you're about to meet your maker. And we, and we lean forward, and then they catch you, right? Because you're strapped. And then they lift your legs, and then they let you go, and it's the best experience. If you have the chance, I recommend it. I'm not responsible for anything that happens, but I recommend it. And we go, and we zip line like Superman. One day, I'll bring the footage for you guys to see. But it, it, it's a beautiful thing. And, and we zip line. But guess what? To get that experience, we had to trust the guy. We had to trust him. To get the best experience in life, you need to trust God. You need to trust God. And when they were taken into captivity, and they started building, they started doing their thing. They started doing their thing. God, at the appointed time, would cause Babylon to fall to Persia, right? And so imagine you have a country that's it's kind of like here, like it's a super powerful, like they're so powerful, they're not afraid. And then they have walls and those walls like wide, like you can have cars right on those walls, they're so wide. And so nobody can break in the city. But if you go in the book of Daniel, they're having a party and God, Daniel gives a prophecy, says, yeah, uh, God says, I waited you, you're done, you're done. And what happens that night, the Persian found a weakness in the wall. They, they, they had a little kind of like shaft for the water to come in, right? So they diverted the river so that they could go under that little spot and they invaded the city and they took over in one night. It's over. And that new regime, that new king, he's the one that would say, okay, you know what? You guys can go back to your lands. If you're from another country, you can go back. So while they were busy building and obeying God, God had their backs and he was working in the background. So you might be, whether you feel you're stuck in life, but if you worry about doing things God's way, God got your back. And while you're not understanding, God is fighting on your behalf in the back of the scene. And he's putting things in together for you so that when the phone rings, say, oh, I saw your resume online. You did? I didn't post my resume online. I still saw it. 
Do you want the job? Oh, so-and-so told me about you. Because they told me about you, you're good. Understand, God is fighting. Follow with me. If we go in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Because you see, sometimes we, we try to understand God's plan, but we don't realize that God's plan, you don't understand it fully looking forward. You understand it fully looking backwards. Right? So to make progress in life, you need to look forward. You need to move forward. But one, when you move, start moving forward, eventually when you look backwards and you see everything that God has arranged to bring you to the spot where you are, then you're impressed by what God did. So to make progress, you look forward. But to be impressed, you look backward. A lot of times we don't understand God's plan until we reach where God is taking us. So follow with me in Matthew chapter 1, verse 17. And so Matthew chapter 1, so obviously we're getting close to Christmas. We're in September. It starts with the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And it says, and it ends this way. It ends the genealogy. It says, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. And over the years, I was always reading this passage and I never understood. Okay, I see you, you're trying to show me where Christ comes from. So you're telling me Abraham beget Isaac, beget uh, Jacob, and it goes and it goes. But why are you talking about Abraham? That's a person. That's the, the, the friend of God. And then you're talking about David. David, okay, I see David. David is the king, the man after God's own heart, the king. But then you go from David to an event, the deportation to Babylon. Why, like, why not another person? Why not, I don't know, Daniel? Why not um, Zerubbabel? Whoever was, but it went to an event. And that's when I realized that God's, plan is not fulfilled based on people. It's fulfilled based on promises. He fulfills his plan based on his promise that he made. So he made a promise to Abraham and he said, all the nations will be blessed with your posterity. And indeed, all the nations are blessed in Jesus Christ. You want to see how all the nations are blessed in Jesus Christ? I'm going to give you a challenge. You guys know that song, Waymaker? Waymaker, miracle worker. Oh, that's all right. I'm not a singer. YouTube that song in any language. You do, we, we stood there the other day and we went, okay, Waymaker in French. Okay, I know it in French. Okay, Waymaker in Spanish. You'll find it in Spanish. Waymaker in German. You'll find it in German. Waymaker in Bangladesh. You'll find it in any language you're going to find it. And that's when you realize that Christ as a people now serving him all over the world. And that God fulfilled his promise to Abraham by blessing all the nation in Jesus Christ. And to David, it says, your, your descendant will rule forever. You will always have a ruler on the throne. And we see in Philippians chapter 2, it says that every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so Jesus now fulfills that promise. And what it comes when it comes to Babylon, he also made a promise. He promised that he would bring them back. He promised that they will be coming back in that land. And so when you're going through the challenge, like when you're like Daniel and you're being deported, you don't necessarily feel that promise. But guess what? God had already said that the Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem, not Babylon. So they had to come back. He already said that the Messiah would grow up in Nazareth, not in Nineveh. So they had to come back. So even when things are all, they look like they're dead. It looks like it's game over. If God made you a promise, you can trust in that promise. If God made a promise, you can trust in that promise. And, and I want to speak, maybe you're watching online and you're a parent and your kid is they went astray. They, they, they're gone. 
They're gone. They don't want to know anything about God. I'm going to tell you, do not lose hope and pray because God fulfilled his promises. And if he made it, he will fulfill it. So if you follow with me in verse, verse 12, it says, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and the places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So I want to tell you today, if you feel yourself, you're in exile. You, 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 you're not in the place where you're supposed to be. You're not in the place at peace. You're not in that place where of wholeness. You're in exile. Maybe you feel like you're in captivity. Captivity is you can't get out. You're stuck. You feel like I'm in life and I'm stuck. I'm at a job and I want to quit, but I got bills to pay. I'm stuck. The promise that he gave, he says, seek me and you will find me. When you pray, I will listen. And when God listens, what, 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 what his mouth says, his hand will accomplish. If he's listening, he will act. And he says, seek me and you will find me. But when you seek me with all your heart, with all your heart. So if you find yourself and you're in that exile place, you're in that captivity place, I want to tell you this afternoon, trust this promise and seek him with everything that you have. Seek him with all your heart and he will listen to you. So play by the rules. Build wherever you are. Build, plant, take, live, multiply, don't decrease. Pray for the rulers. Pay attention to what God is doing in this world, what God is doing in your life. Because even though you might not see it, you might not feel it, he is at work. It is at work. So seek him with everything that you have. God bless you.